Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message entitled Agnostos Theos, the unknown God. We're looking at Paul's address to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Got a few things coming up here at North Shore Vineyard. Um, Next Sunday after church, we have a meeting for anybody interested in a Nicaraguan mission trip in October. You can come and find out about that. And also, on June 22nd, we will be kicking off the Art of Storytelling for the second year in a row. Great class. You can find out more uh, at the info desk at the church. Anyway, let's go ahead and head to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. Okay, while Paul was awaiting them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where he said to them, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange idea to our ears, and we would love to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens! I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine being as like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human hands, human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about this resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris. 
and a number of others. So I have been looking forward to this day for months. Not just being here with you on a Sunday morning. I look forward to that every week. It's what keeps me going. Um, but Dina and me and the kids are going to be going on a three-week road trip starting shortly after church today. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Encourage me. <laughs> I've been wanting to do a, a, a family road trip out, out through the Southwest for years and have even tried to plan it on a few occasions and stuff just kept coming up. And I realized with my daughter graduating high school, um, this kind of like might be our last shot as a family like in this uh, kind of thing since she's heading off to college in the fall. And most of our, our vacations since we've been a family, have either been road trips where I've been playing music or vineyard conferences and occasionally just going to see family. And so I wanted to do a trip that involved no uh, vineyard conferences as much as I love them and no playing music, uh, at least professionally. And uh, so we have, I've been working for months on mapping out this road trip. We're going to go out to the Grand Canyon and Roswell, New Mexico, check in on the aliens. Um, <laughs> and Arches National Park and all this stuff. But today, our first stop will be Conroe, Texas. We're going to go see some friends. Conroe is north of Houston. And the first part of our trip is going to be very familiar because we make a trip to Texas three or four times a year as a family uh, to see friends or family. But the deal is, when we go to Texas, uh, I don't have a whole lot of control issues in my life. <laughs> I don't think. But, but one that I'm aware of is... When it comes to driving, I like to be the guy in the driver's seat. I just, I just, I like to drive. And so when we cross over the Texas line, oftentimes I am the only person in the car that is consciously aware of the moment we cross into Texas. And this is partly due to the fact that normally I put on a boring history podcast or history book and it causes everybody to fall asleep in the car except me. <laughs> keeps me awake. It keeps me energized. But for Dina and Tevi and Ezra, Texas might likely be a reality that they're not consciously aware of the moment they cross over, but something in which they wake up to that reality because they're asleep. I say this because I believe that, that conversion, uh, you know, be, becoming a follower of Jesus, oftentimes it, it falls in one of those two categories. Either you have a specific moment in your life where you stepped across the line and you go, back in 1999 on July 2nd, I gave my life to Jesus and stepped across the line. That was kind of the way my conversion was, except not back in 1999. I was 20 years old. I'd made an absolute mess of my life. I was depressed, uh, contemplating suicide or running away. And I'm sitting there in my living room. I wasn't in a church service, but I, I had enough of foundation of faith from when I was a kid that I was just like, I cried out to God. I said, Lord, I don't know why you would take me. I bring nothing to the table. <laughs> but if you will take me, I'm yours. I said yes to Jesus. And that was like 24 years ago, and I've been following Jesus ever since. Now, for many people, that's what conversion is. It's a moment of stepping across the line. But over the years, as I've, I've 
lived my Christian faith, I've also noticed that there's a lot of people that they can't point to a specific moment in their life when they stepped across the line. It was just a gradual thing that they slowly awakened to being in relationship with Jesus. Now, however you experience conversion in your life, assuming that you are a follower of Jesus, uh, I bet we could all agree that God was moving in our lives long before we were ever consciously aware of it. You know? I mean, I can look back in the months and years leading up to the moment that I stepped across the line, and I can realize God was at work in those situations. And I say all that because what Paul is doing in this address to Athens on, on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, uh, Paul is actually dealing with God in their history. And this is something we miss as modern Westerners who just kind of read this story. We just kind of bump across some of this stuff, the unknown God, as, as something kind of trivial. And yet today we're going to look at some of the history behind that and understand that Paul is actually giving us a great template for how we can interact with people that are non-Christians. You ever wonder how to share your faith with people who aren't Christians? I mean, don't we all kind of think about like, you know, I want to tell others about Jesus, but I don't want to be the, you know, the guy with a sign that says repent. And I, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, evangelism for me, I'm, I'm, I'm like the worst evangelist in the world. And I used to feel so bad. I would be in church and I'd hear some visiting guest speaker talk about, yeah, I took a plane ride over here and I led the, my whole, whole road to Jesus on the flight. And I'm like, man, when I get on an airplane, man, headphones go in. I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I, a lot of people assume that I'm super extroverted, but I'm extroverted around people I know. Uh, but I always used to feel like the, the worst Christian because I'm not going to stand up on a carton in the student union at SLU and yell at passers-by. I'm not going to try to talk somebody. I'm a lousy salesman. I'm good at buying stuff, but I'm, I'm a lousy. <laughs> but I think what we're going to learn from Paul today is that you don't have to be a good salesman. You don't have to be obnoxious. Uh, there is a very natural way you can share your faith with people that are atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, agnostics, uh, anybody outside of, of, of your own faith. There's a way to do it that is very relational, engaging, but will cause some reflection on our own part. So when Paul, I, I want us to, to realize something about Paul. Before Paul's conversion, he was basically what we would call today a religious fundamentalist terrorist. Paul, pre-conversion, uh, he was the type of person that would persecute people, have people killed for not believing what he believed. We pick this story up 15 years after he bumped into Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it is obvious that something has happened in his life because the old Paul would have come into Athens and just kicked down altars and, you know, going up to the high places to tear the devil's kingdom down. Yes. Can we run around the church or something? I think it's these new chairs. It just makes me feel like we're a legit church now. Halfway legit. Um. But Paul shows up in Athens, and keep in mind, he was someone who was raised in a monotheistic faith 
in which he excelled in it. If you read in Philippians, Paul recounts his resume. He says, I was a Jew of Jews, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wasn't just somebody who took religion seriously. He took it so seriously that he joined a religious order. And so seriously that he actually became a leader of the Pharisees. And then Paul goes on to say, and as for zeal, I wasn't just like zealous for following the law. I would beat people up who didn't follow the law like I did. That was the old Paul. And so imagine what a jarring experience it would be for somebody who's been raised up and excelled in a type of religion that is very, you know, bounded set, so to speak, you know, us versus them, to come into a place like Athens where they have an idol, a temple, a, a priest, a temple prostitute, every couple of feet. You're just bumping in to idols. It must have been, you know, I mean, it says he was, he was uh, what's it say? He was greatly distressed. And he starts telling people about this Jesus. Now, Athens had this thing called the Areopagus. It was also called, you can say, Mars Hill. And it was a place where they would meet to, it's, I love what it says, you know, Athenians and everybody who visited there, like the only thing they wanted to do was listen to the latest ideas. It's kind of like TED Talks. Anybody watch TED Talks? I love TED Talks. I can waste an afternoon watching TED Talks. If you've never seen a TED Talk, basically TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. And they give each speaker 18 minutes to talk about whatever their idea is. So you have people who are, you know, biologists, uh, physicists, designers, musicians, even a handful of religious people get up there and they deliver their best spiel in 18 minutes or less. And uh, it, it's a fascinating thing. But everybody who goes to these TED Talks, it's just like they're interested in the latest ideas. And so Paul gets invited to share his TED Talk. And this is what he leads off with. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and it is what I'm going to pro proclaim to you. Paul, what can seem to us like a random detail in this story is very important because Paul is actually speaking to the Athenian people's encounter with the one true God. And you can look this up in the history book. So I want to tell you this story for a moment. 600 years before Paul comes on the scene, Athens was experiencing a plague. It was bad. People were dying everywhere. And so if you were living in Athens at the time, the, the, the first thing you would do is try to figure out which god or goddess you had offended and start making sacrifices to them. And so they offer sacrifice to Zeus and Apollo and Athena and Aphrodite and on and on and on. They go through the list of gods. And, and in Athens, it, it was almost an unending list. But they finally get down to the bottom of every god that they can think of to sacrifice to and the plague was still going. And so finally, the leaders of Athens went to the oracle at Delphi, and they asked, what are we supposed to do? And the oracle at Delphi said, you need to go find a guy named Epimendes on the island of Crete. Epimendes was a, a, a prophet, 
a poet, an expert in the religious law. And so they made the trek to Crete to go talk with Epimendes. And they said, Epimendes, what are we supposed to do? We've, we've, we've sacrificed to every single god we can imagine, and the plague keeps persisting. And Epimendes looks at him and he says, well, if you sacrifice to every god that there is and nothing's happened, then perhaps there's a God that's greater than all these other gods who you've offended, a God that you don't even know about. You need to make things right with him. And so like, okay, great. How do we do that? And so Epimenides says, what I want you to do is take some sheep and don't feed them. You know, make them the, the, the evening before you do this experiment. Don't, don't let them have anything to eat. And bring them out on the hill in the morning. This grassy hill. And if any of these sheep lay down in the grass instead of eating it, take that as a sign that you've actually encountered God. <laughs> and so they did that. They, they prayed a prayer, God reveal yourself, and they let out these sheep. And sure enough, a few of these sheep just laid right down, didn't eat anything, and so they took it as a sign, okay, there is another God that we don't know about. And they slaughtered each one of those sheep right where they sat and erected an altar in each one of the, like, I think there was three sheep, and they erected three altars. And upon each one of these altars, they put uh, to the unknown God, agnostos theos in Greek, and over the centuries, oh, and, and by the way, after they did this, the plague ended. And they offered a prayer of repentance to this God that they don't know. They said, God, unknown God who we've offended, please uh, accept our, our repentance. And sure enough, the plague ended. And over the centuries, these, each one of these altars to the unknown God kind of uh, fell into disrepair, got moved. And so finally, we find six, 600 years later, Paul is walking through Athens, and he comes upon one of these altars that had actually been on the hill that had been moved into Athens, and it said, to the unknown God, Agnostos Theos. So this is not, this, I don't know why my voice is cracking. <laughs> Will you go out with me? <laughs> so this, this little bit about the unknown God, this is not a trivial detail. Paul is actually speaking to the Athenian people of the time in their history where they as a people actually encountered the one true God. Paul is saying... This God that you worship without even knowing who he is, that's the God I come to proclaim to you. You've already met him, by the way. He's already been at work in your story. So Paul says, that's the God I proclaim. Paul goes on to quote their own poets. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul is quoting Epimendes and Aratus. You know what that poem was actually about? It's actually about Zeus. Paul is taking a line about Zeus. In him we live, move, and have our being. And he's actually applying it to the unknown God. And then he quotes another po poet who says, For we are his offspring. 
Paul is speaking to the people of Athens that day and saying, God's already been at work in your story. And these other, pro- these other poets that you have who have said these things about Zeus, he's like, no, it's really true about this unknown God. It's in him we move and have our being. We are his offspring. Now, what can we learn from Paul when it comes to relating to people outside of our faith? I know when I was a young college student um, doing college ministry out at SLU, we had all kinds of strategies for uh, trying to win the lost and share our faith. One was the um, religious survey. You know, you'd stand out in the student union, somebody would be walking up, and you, can I, can I ask you some questions about religion? And it's a whole bait and switch thing. You're, you're trying to ask them some questions about religion and then lead them to a, a prayer about Jesus. There are other people who've tried the route of apologetics, trying to build up a case for why God exists and why you need to follow Jesus, why Jesus is the Messiah. Then there's more direct approaches by just going out there and preaching to everybody. Uh, I remember out at SLU, there was a group of people that would come in from Kansas every year, and they would hold signs up saying, God hates college education or something. I don't think it was the greatest evangelical strategy. (laughs) But what Paul's getting out here is actually something any of us can do. Number one, Paul has a trust that God is at work in everybody's life, whether they know it or not. You realize that? God is at work in everybody's life on planet Earth, whether they know it or not. God is moving. We would not be here. In him we live, move, and have our being. We would cease to exist if God wasn't sustaining our lives. And I I learned in church growing up, my early years in church, I was always taught that, that anybody outside of our little group has no God at all. No, God's at work in their lives. They're just ignorant to it. We can trust that God is at work in every party's life, even when they're not conscious of it. Secondly, we know that Paul was offended at their idolatry. It says he was distressed when he walked among the streets. But when he gets up there for his TED Talk, he doesn't come out going, you stupid, I can't believe y'all are worshiping statues made with human hands. No, he, he says, I noticed walking around your city today, you guys are very religious. What is Paul doing? He's actually affirming the impulse to worship within them, even though it is misdirected. How many times do we see Christians just come out and call Muslims stupid or Buddhists stupid or Hindus or atheists. You know, yeah, you're just stupid. Perhaps that's not the place to start. (laughs) Perhaps we can start by affirming the good things that they're doing, even if they're misdirected. That's what Paul does. He affirms the, the impulse, the instinct to worship, even though... It's misdirected. Secondly, or thirdly, Paul is a good investigator. See, I think true evangelism has a lot more to do with paying attention and listening than it has to do with opening our mouths. I really think if Christians could just shut up a little bit more, we'd probably have a lot more people following Jesus. (laughs) 
What's the old Yiddish proverb? You know, you got two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you speak. I probably need to learn that one. Paul is a good investigator. Paul is looking for the work of God in this people. He's investigating it. That's why he comes across this this altar to the unknown God. But to be a good investigator of other people means we have to be a good investigator with ourselves. One of the reasons we talk so much here about reflection and contemplation is because most of us spend most of our time unaware of what God is doing. And the only way we wake up to that is when we look in the rearview mirror, when we get quiet, when we reflect over our lives. I can tell you, I can go through a normal week and think nothing felt spiritual or religious or anything, but if I get quiet and start reflecting, invite the Holy Spirit to be with me as I reflect over the last week, I can see moment after moment where God was showing up in ways that I was not consciously aware of at that moment. As we become good investigators of the work of God within our own lives and our own journey, looking in the rearview mirror ourselves, it helps us wake up to what God is doing in other people. Now, when I'm talking to somebody, I'm not feeling the pressure of, I got to do a good sales pitch and offer five reasons for faith in Christ or lead them down the Romans road or whatever the latest evangelical, evangelistic technique is. Now I'm just trying to pay attention to, God, what are you doing in this person's life that they're unaware of right now? And how can I wake them up to that? And so I find myself quite often, whether I'm sitting in a, at a cigar shop, whether it's at a bar that I'm going to be playing some music in and I'm talking to a, a waiter before I go on or a bartender at the end of the night, whether it's just in my everyday relationships One of the questions I ask, I ask God and I ask myself as I'm sitting there is, God, what are you doing in this person's life? And help me to be aware of it. And so when I hear somebody share something about how much they love their wife or love their kids or some desire they have to make the world a better place or some some idea, I just, I find myself oftentimes telling them, I know you may not believe in God, but I'm going to say that that thing that you're feeling right there, I'm going to call that God. Are you okay with that? (laughs) I'm not starting with something that's outside of them. I'm actually starting with the God that's at work within them and their own desires and their own passions. We don't have to put something foreign into some people's lives. We, We can start right there. And the fourth thing that Paul does is he doesn't use the Bible. I had a discussion with a friend a few years ago. We had a few disagreements on the Bible. He said, well, you know, how can anybody come to faith without the Bible? I'm like, happens all the time. In fact, I think, I think you give somebody that's looking for God the Bible, it's not necessarily going to lead them to God. It might confuse them a little bit, um, just depending on where they start. I'm not saying the Bible's bad. I'm not anti-Bible. We're studying the Bible today, okay? I'm okay with the Bible. <laughs> But what Paul does here, he doesn't, he doesn't show up to a bunch of people who have no concept of the Bible and start quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah and the book of Psalms. He doesn't do that. He actually starts with pagan poets, the ones who were talking about Zeus. This is crazy talk. So for me, 
when I'm talking to people outside of Christianity who have no grid for the Bible or church, I might start with Bob Dylan. I might start with Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. I start with something from the culture, something that has meaning to everybody or other people. Or if it's somebody of another religion, maybe I'll quote something from their religion. I mean, the Quran has well over 100 verses just about Jesus. Actually, I've got missionary friends in the Muslim world. That's where they start. They don't start with arguing with Muslims over Christianity. They just start with Jesus and the Quran and begin talking to, let's start there. What, what Muhammad had to say about Jesus. They work their way from there to, to, to the Holy Spirit, and a lot of these people end up becoming followers of Jesus. What we're trying to do here is make connections with people, to love people right where they're at, to step into their world. We, we talk a lot here about incarnational ministry, and this is exactly what Paul is doing. He is stepping into their world, using their own culture, to speak to them about God. Now, ultimately, where, where Paul goes with this is he talks about Jesus. That unknown God, that God that you worship without knowing it, and I know people all over, friends of mine who are not Christians, who seem to be doing good things. To be worshiping a God they don't even know. Paul steps into their world. He affirms their motivations, even if they're misdirected. He uses their own culture to communicate to them the gospel. But ultimately, he says, this Jesus who was crucified, executed by the Romans, God raised him from the dead. And that's the proof that he's God. And if you want to actually know this God who you worship through ignorance actually know him, be in relationship with him, let's go through Jesus. Basically, Paul is just doing what Jesus did. Because <laughs> when Jesus stepped into our world, yeah, Jesus quotes the Bible here and there, but most of what Jesus did in his parables, he quoted things that were normal to them. Agriculture, parables, connected with people right where they're at by entering into their world. I put a little exercise at the end of your outline. And, and when it comes, if you can think of one person in your life that you regularly encounter who is not a Christian, who's outside of Christianity, go through this list of questions. Consider someone you know who is not a Christian with whom you would like to share your faith. What are some good desires or motives in that person that you can affirm? And if you're familiar with the person's history, are there experiences that you would call the work of God in that person's life? And if you were to share your faith with this person, how might you draw from the culture, the language of our culture, to share Christ? I think these are wonderfully, wonderful kind of questions to ask ourselves. Because I do think we all need to share our faith but I think so often we just shut down because we don't think we can be ourselves if we share our faith. And wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that all these things are anybody can do? Yeah. 
All right. Well, I'd love to stay in chat. But I got a vacation to get to. <laughs> I will be missing the first three Sundays in a row since I've been a pastor here at North Shore Vineyard. But we have some amazing uh, guest speakers lined up, so I think you will enjoy it. And I think I'll actually uh, come back ready to speak a little bit more. <laughs> uh, why don't y'all stand? Let me pray a blessing over you. Lord, I bless your people. May you be blessed not only with the knowledge of what God is doing in this present moment, but may you be blessed to see God in the rearview mirror. May your eyes be open to see how God is at work in the mundane things of your life, the insignificant, the hard things that you've gone through. May you see his hand and notice his presence. May you have eyes open to see God in the lives of others, and may you be quick to affirm the good motives within their hearts. May your mind be drawn to bridges from the culture on how you can share your faith. And may you, like Jesus, learn how to enter the lives of other people and to be love. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you would like some, oh, thank you. <laughs> if any of you would like some prayer, feel free to come up to the front. We'll gather some people around you and pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. See you in a few weeks. It's time for vacation.